You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. everyone. I'm Vanita. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm the teaching pastor here on the executive council. I am thrilled to be able to share uh, share today's sermon uh, through the wilderness and we are being born again in the wilderness, born again 2.0. I really missed you all last week. I thank you so much for your prayers. Um, We had loss in our family, both sides of our family, so it was a weekend and a couple of days of traveling, um, but just being with family uh, really meant so much to me. However, I miss my church family. So uh, before I left, which was March 2nd, um, I had the wonderful opportunity along with members of our EC, Mac and Josh, to be able to go to the Barclay Center Uh, on Ash Wednesday morning to share ashes with the community. We wanted to let the Brooklyn community know that Forefront is alive and well. There were so many people that were thrilled we were there. We reminded a number of people that it was actually Ash Wednesday. Uh, People told us that they were so um, excited about it. They thought it was unique and creative uh, and wondered what what a joy it was to um, be able to give people ashes on their way to work. I will say, though, we didn't make it through unscathed. There, of course, was some opposition. (laughs) Um, There was a conversation that ensued with the particular person who saw once we pulled out our business card um, that we were LGBTQIA plus affirming, they began to ask questions of us. And we had this conversation, and it seemed we were not getting anywhere. They did not want to listen to us. The only thing they focused on was what they already believed. And then they proceeded one by one to tell us about ourselves. (laughs) I was annoyed because they were taking up way too much of our time. Mac was frozen and Reverend Josh was like, I'm not sorry. (laughs) And (laughs) so, We weren't getting anywhere in a nice, loving, Holy Ghost-filled way. We asked this distraction to bounce, and he did. (laughs) But the beautiful part about this whole confrontation was our united front. I mean, we really reacted as a team, and even though it was a bit unsettling, our community of three would not be deterred, and we were still able to focus on showing our community the light and love of Jesus. And as I reflected on this encounter with this person, I was actually reminded of a poem that my sister had framed in her living room. I know now that the poem is known as the Gestalt Prayer, written by psychotherapist Fritz Perls. And the poem goes on to say, I do my thing and you do your thing. I am not in this world to live up to your expectations, and you are not in this world to live up to mine. You are you, and I am I. And if by chance 
we find each other, it's beautiful. If not, it can't be helped. And in that moment, it couldn't be helped. <laughs> the other thing this encounter reminded me of was my experiences doing street evangelism. Has anyone here ever participated in street evangelism? A couple of hands, <laughs> a couple of people, okay. So this is spreading the gospel on the street. And I remember standing in front of our family church in Harlem, we would sing, we would preach, and we just wanted to get people saved from their sins. We wanted to have people develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. We also handed out tracts. And this is a century old practice. Many people still hand out tracts today. And it was interesting because as I was preparing for this sermon, I saw that Reverend Charles Spurgeon, who's an English Baptist preacher known throughout the world, uh, highly respected in many denominations, authored many books, hymns, sermons, and other literary works. He authored the Gospel Tract, which was actually written in 1853. He was also strongly opposed to the owning of slaves and lost the support of his community of faith. Many people also threatened him because of this stance. But it was interesting because Spurgeon said, as it relates to tracts, let each one of us, if we have done nothing for Christ, begin to do something now. The distribution of tracts is the first thing. When preaching and private talk are not available, you need to have a track ready. Get good striking tracks or none at all. But a touching gospel track may be the seed of eternal life. Therefore, do not go out without your tracks. Now, this is what we were taught, and this is what I believed, and guess what? This is what I did. I gave out tracks everywhere. I gave out tracks to friends, to strangers, to random people on the street, to people who were toll booth collectors, to servers at restaurants, to everyone. I was a track machine. <laughs> there is something else that I did that is actually the highlight of my evangelism, one of the highlights. And this was participating, wait for it, as a counselor in a Billy Graham crusade right here in New York City. And you see on my little you know, name tag, it says counselor. I was official. Many people here, I'm sure, um, well, I don't want to assume, are familiar with Billy Graham, uh, an evangelist, very, very um, connected globally to world leaders, presidents, politicians. He spent time preaching in cities, in towns, in villages, um, all throughout the world. It's estimated that within his 70 years of ministry, Billy Graham preached to more than 215 million people. 215 million people. So we heard about this crusade, and then some friends and I went for training, counselor training. So we were trained so that those in Central Park who made a commitment to Christ would have some sort of connection, 
So that day, there were about 250,000 people in Central Park. And once Billy Graham made the altar call, all of this was very well orchestrated, it was my job to look at my team leader, and then my team leader would direct me who to stand next to and who to um, connect with. So I would... Um, I was responsible for getting their information and then giving them some information so that they could understand what their new life in Christ was all about. So <clears throat> the focus was on getting people to become born again. And we see this terminology of being born again in the third chapter of John. Jesus is in conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee from a very influential religious sect who approaches Jesus. He seems to be in his wilderness season, a time of searching and uncertainty, a time of wandering and questioning. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he believes that Jesus was indeed sent by God because no one else would have been able to do these signs except they had the presence of God with them. So there are speculations surrounding why Nicodemus approached Jesus at night. Perhaps uh, he didn't want other Pharisees to know. Maybe he was embarrassed because he was a religious leader and he was supposed to have all of the answers and not be questioning. Or maybe he had other responsibilities to do during the day and he decided to approach Jesus at night. So let's pick up with the story in chapter 3 of John, verses 3 through 7, and then I'll read verses 16 and 17. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above, or in some translations, born again. For God so loved the world that she gave her only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through her. So while Nicodemus takes being born again literally, how can one be born a second time from your mother's womb, he asks. Jesus uses this metaphor about birth to convey a message about a new birth, a spiritual renewal. And while these verses have been used to help people connect with Jesus and have hope and trust in a living God, with the literal read of these same verses, They've been used to exclude people and reject people from church and from having faith in God. 
These verses have been used to divide and conquer and to separate religions from one another, to separate families, and among other things, separate indigenous communities from their traditional practices and belief systems. One of our theological distinctives here at Forefront relates to scriptural interpretation. We believe that we're growing in our understanding of scripture. Scripture is not dead. God still speaks to us through it. Our eyes are opened to all the ways that scripture is a wonderful library of wisdom that still teaches us to this day. We take scripture too seriously to take it literally. What if these verses in John that we so often see in athletic stadiums and on billboards and other places were not solely to serve as the foundation for a belief system that would cause some to be accepted and others to be rejected? What if this passage was more about how we connect with a loving God and deepen our faith? What if these verses help us establish friendships with one another and build people up in all of their identities rather than tear people down? What if these verses lead us to cultivating a radically inclusive community of faith where people are encouraged to connect with Jesus freely without walking down an aisle, without saying a specific prayer, without only listening to specific music, without wearing certain clothes, without being perfect, without getting everything right all the time, without doing one thing to earn God's love. This would help us understand that gathering in small groups and participating in community service projects and worshiping here or virtually on Sundays in Brooklyn and around the world, it would help us to understand that praying for each other and reading liturgy and having communion would all be reflections of spiritual renewal, of being born again in the spirit. And what if we look at all of the wonderful and exciting things that we do outside the church where we can find spiritual edification and renewal? What if we felt born again by going to Broadway to see The Lion King? What if we experience spiritual renewal by walking in Prospect Park and enjoying nature? What if we experience spiritual renewal by going to the Brooklyn Museum and taking in an exhibit? These are so many ways where we can experience the presence of God and we can experience spiritual renewal with each and every encounter. The truth is that these verses should not lead us to arrogance, but these verses should lead us to love and humility, which should be the focus as we read scripture, putting no limits on God's grace or who God chooses to embrace. 
It seems Nicodemus had been observing the teaching and miracles of Jesus. It seems he was checking him out. He noticed the way that Jesus touched the lives of people who were deemed untouchable and unlovable. I'm sure he saw the way Jesus exhibited compassion, revealing the presence of God on his life. And when we exhibit compassion, we are able to show people what the presence of God is really like, and then we can transfer this love and light to other people. As I mentioned earlier, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and the word itself comes from the Aramaic word parashaya, meaning separated or separatist. But Jesus helped Nicodemus see things a different way, a way of inclusion, and a way of connection. I shared with you some of the pivotal moments in my spiritual life and journey. And there's another moment that actually served as the foundation for a lot of that street evangelism. And at the age of 13, I accepted Jesus into my heart and into my life as my Lord and as my savior. Happened up at our family church in Harlem. I was saved from my sins and born again. One moment I was sitting in the pew enjoying a women's day service. The next minute, somehow I was up there at the altar crying, reciting what some people refer to as the sinner's prayer. Now this was a big deal for me because I had been protesting something. I had been protesting these long services because the services were like three hours and I was on my mother's case because I'm like, come on, mom, why can't we just stay in Teaneck and go to our Catholic church? Because gee, service is only one hour and we get to wear what we want. We don't have to dress up. But God did something for me in that moment. And since that time, my spiritual journey has had very interesting twists and turns. And I've had a number of wilderness experiences. And guess what? I'm grateful, no longer bitter, because I used to be bitter. I'm grateful now for every spiritual marker that I experienced, from being christened and confirmed in the Catholic Church, to being saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost in my Pentecostal church, to being ordained in the Baptist church. I am grateful for each and every experience because all of those experiences help me to fall in love with Jesus and help me to connect with God in a real and powerful way. However, even though I, I loved being a light and a witness um, within that paradigm and within that framework, I was actually promoting a very separate an exclusive gospel where only some people were in and others were out. The good news was not for everyone. It was only for some. And when I was introduced to a more inclusive theology, when I really understood the love of Jesus and when I was safe to ask more questions than I had answers for, where my focus was on freedom in Christ, I told one of my friends, I feel like I've been born 
again. And I praise God that I'm being born again and we're being born again daily. And I feel excited and refreshed and renewed when my focus is on loving God, myself, and others, not on what others are doing or not doing to live up to an unreasonable and unrealistic standard of Christianity. That is exhausting, that leads to stagnation, and that leads to boredom. <laughs> there have been, and there may have been, individuals who had some of the experiences that I've had. And maybe there are those here or even virtually who are in the wilderness of an evolving faith, yet, you are clinging to hope that the good news includes all of you. And I'm here to tell you, friends, it really does. Keep trusting, because as we believe here at Forefront, the good news is that our faith is in a just and generous God who was never separated from us. The good news is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are so that we can change our minds about the goodness of God, not so that God can change God's mind about our goodness. The good news is that God's justice is restorative, not punitive, and sin is systemic, not just individual. I've heard so many stories at Forefront of your evolving faith and that so many people are experiencing God's abundant joy, grace, and goodness. Even in the midst of maybe some of the experiences that, we, that might be similar to what we had on Ash Wednesday. And maybe because of toxic situations, toxic experiences and environments, maybe you might find yourself praying the Gestalt prayer where you may have to tell people you get go your way and I'll go my way. And if in fact we find each other, it's beautiful. I rejoice in the fact that there's so much beauty that comes from being connected to God freely. I rejoice in the fact that so many people are being renewed and born again, even in the wilderness. And I would encourage you to be patient in your process as you continue to open up yourself to all that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life on a daily basis. Remember that God loves us. Remember that God is with us. And no matter what, remember that God is for us. I close with a portion of a poem from week two of our Lenten Wilderness Devotional. Reverend Josh referred to it earlier. I hope you um, take one home. But it goes on to say, so, like Nicodemus in the night, I will throw my big questions at the sky and my voice will reverberate among the stars and my questions will echo throughout the dark. For there in the night, my words form constellations. And there in the wilderness, my prayers form galaxies. So even there in the unknown, I trust that I am found. A light shines in the darkness, friend. 
So if ever you're in the wilderness, look up and find the stars. And the people of God said, amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can find you in so many places. We thank you that your love for us is so deep and so wide and so great. We thank you, dear God, that we continue to be born again day by day. Help us to be patient in the process of all that you are doing in our lives. We thank you and we praise you and we love you, dear God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.